Well, good morning. Happy New Year. For those of you who were fortunate enough to be at one of the Christmas Eve services, you had the opportunity to hear my wife Melissa tell Norflat that this year she prayed and asked the Lord to show her what Christmas presents she should get for each of the people she was buying for. I have to admit I wasn't quite that smart. But in early December, I did do this. I said, Melissa, why don't you just tell me, what would, what would you like for Christmas? What would bless you? I know you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to be intuitive enough to figure it out, or I guess now you've been asked for some divine guidance in the process. But imagine my surprise when I got this for an answer. I'd like a coupon that I could give you. Whenever you start to get angry, raise your voice, or have a snarky tone, that I can give to you, and you need to promise that upon receiving this coupon, you will immediately stop and back off until you're filled with God's Spirit again. <laughs> That's what I want for Christmas this year. What do you do with that, right? It's like, it's not even try harder or go to counseling or get me this sweater. It's when you get triggered, when you start to get nasty, I want to have a pause button where I can stop you until the spirit-filled Bryce can reappear. I'm happy to report that it's been 10 days, and uh, we've had almost 24 hours of family road trip, and I still have not had a coupon presented to me. So, so far, so good. Yeah. And for those of you who know me, you know that's not a small feat over the holidays. A couple weeks after that conversation with Melissa, I was interacting with someone about the progress of a ministry that I'm a part of, and I was expressing my frustration over the distance I felt between what God could be doing in unleashing his, his presence and power in the ministry and where we were. And I wasn't trying to be negative, but I was interrupted by the leader who said this, you know, Bryce, it feels like you set the bar so high that you always see failure. And frankly, I feel like you do that personally as well. And then you project this not quite good enough onto others around you. You don't seem to experience all the joy of what God's doing. You just see the glass half empty, if you will. And frankly, it's discouraging to be around you sometimes. You never seem to feel satisfied with what God is doing in your life or the lives of those around you. And that conversation got me thinking and reflecting a little bit on some of the interactions I've had with my children over the years. Dad, I feel like you always expect me to be perfect. It never seems like I'm good enough for you. Why must you always push me to be the best I can be all the time? Maybe I don't want to be the best, or maybe I'm trying my best and it's just not good enough for you. To top it off, you know, it's New Year's this past week, and it's a natural time of reflection on how the last year's gone and what your goals and priorities are going to be for the coming year. But as we start this morning, I'd like you to imagine, what if your best gift to your family this year could be the pause button to stop you in place when you're getting out of control or even just a little fleshly until you can get recentered? And how do you determine this balance between striving for excellence and pushing your kids and yourself to be better than you are now 
with a reality that it's a reliance on God's Spirit. And as we start a new year, I want to invite you to consider what your priorities should be for 2015. And I want to encourage you to let God speak to you about what his next steps might be for you. You know, a few years ago, our church leadership crafted a mission statement that reflects what we're about at Grace. And my sense would be many, if not all of you, can finish the statement. Grace is a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. Have you ever stopped to think, well, what does that really mean? What's it look like to live like Jesus? This morning, I'm going to address two aspects of it that I picture. I picture the first as unbroken connection with the Father. And the second one is unhindered flow of the Spirit's presence and power in our lives. And it's my desire that you will yearn more deeply at the end of our time this morning than you did coming in to hear the Spirit's voice in your life and to experience His presence and power so that in 2015 you can more honestly say that you are passionately pursuing, striving, if you will, to live more like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, would you burn into our hearts this morning a picture of what it means to live in unbroken connection with you and in unhindered flow of your Spirit's presence and power in our lives. We pray for a fresh movement of your Spirit this year in our life and in our churches. In Jesus' name, amen. So how did Jesus live? Unbroken connection with the Father. Listen to these verses. In John 8, we read that Jesus said, I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. For I always do what pleases him. In John 5, Jesus explains, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. So how did Jesus live? Constantly watching, listening, taking his cues from his father. He didn't seek his own will, but to do the will of his Father. And he intended us to live the same way. He says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Later in John, in chapter 15, he says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So if we're going to say that we are striving to live like Jesus, we are going to need to learn to take our cues from the Father to become more attentive to his voice, unbroken connection with the Father. About 20 years ago, I was introduced to this Bible study called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. It's revolutionary in teaching us how we can learn to recognize God's voice and God's activity in our lives. In fact, he says at one point in the book, 
that as a pastor, he felt his primary objective as a pastor was to help his congregation learn to hear the voice of the Father. And on page 43, he writes this. If you have trouble hearing God speak, you have trouble at the heart of your Christian experience. So as we start 2015, I'd like to ask you, how are you at hearing God's voice? And if this is not a strength of your Christian experience yet, how about making that one of your top priorities this year? That during 2015, you would make it your goal to learn to hear the voice of God in your life. And for some of you, this may be all you need to hear today. This might be your takeaway. Well, how do you do that? How do you live in unbroken connection with the Father? I think Jesus' example is very instructive here as well. We read in Luke 5 the following. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him, and he healed, and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In Luke 9, after sending out his apostles on a mission trip, they come back and it says that when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. And in John 6, right after he fed the 5,000 people with that boy's lunch, it says this, Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So Jesus' strategy was to set aside time to be alone with his father. And if learning to hear the voice of the Spirit becomes our objective, we're going to need to do the same. Perhaps for many of you, signing up for the retreat that was mentioned for the men and the women this winter is a great start to get away. Maybe for others of us, we need to start taking the concept of Sabbath a bit more seriously. I know I always like to think about that more after football ends. Um, but wouldn't we all be benefited? God said, in six days, do your work, and in the seventh, set it aside to rest and to spend time focusing on me. But my challenge is this. Don't let another year go by without taking intentional strides to learn to hear the voice of the Spirit. So that's the first part of living like Jesus, unbroken connection with the Father. But Jesus also lived with an unhindered flow of the Spirit, the Spirit's presence and power in his life. In a few minutes, we're going to start looking at a bunch of verses, and I want to just give you the roadmap so it doesn't seem too overwhelming to you. But I'm going to start here and say this. Jesus' experience was one of the Spirit's power and presence. Then we're going to look at his 12 disciples. The apostles' experience was also one of the Spirit's power and an experience of the Spirit's presence in their lives. And then we're going to look at other followers' experience. And I hope to come to the conclusion that you'll accept that we too were meant to experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. First, Jesus. Let's hear what he said about himself before he started living it out. This is in Luke 4, right after he's come back from being tempted for 40 days. It says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. On the Sabbath day, he stood up to read, and he found the place where it is written, 
the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to, pro to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So that was the promise. God's spirit is on me, and I'm going to be bringing his presence and his kingdom and his power to you. In Luke 5, we read this. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. In the next chapter, we read that the people all were trying to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. A couple chapters later, he's walking along and, and he stops the crowd and he says, hey, who was that? Who touched me? And his disciples are like, what do you mean? Everyone's touching you. And he said, no, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. I love how Peter describes it in Acts, looking back on what he experienced. He said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So, if we're going to passionately pursue living like Jesus, we have to at least start at a base level that Jesus was a conduit of God's presence and power moving forth around him. But he also intended his followers to live this way. In Luke 9, we read this. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. There was proclamation and there was demonstration. In the next chapter, it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was going to go. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. The 72 returned with joy and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So Jesus transferred his way of living first to the 12 disciples and then to the 72. And in Acts 1.15 we read that there were 120 people gathered together in the room in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. Acts 4 describes the following. With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. So the Spirit's outpouring not only resulted in miraculous powers and healings, it also resulted in miraculous generosity an expression of what can we do to meet the needs around us. I don't know about you, but this wasn't exactly my experience in church growing up. I grew up in a fairly strong, Bible-based Christian home. We didn't see an awful lot of healing, power. I was actually told that, well, it doesn't happen anymore. That was for the early church, and 
once we got the Bible written, we didn't really need it. We don't really need God to do that anymore. We just need to have faith. And that's how I've lived a good chunk of my life. Memorize the Bible. Learn the theology. Follow the rules. That's what my Christianity amounted to. I had not seen anyone I knew come to faith in Christ until I was in college. And I'd never really been a part of a church that was actually working, where people were coming to faith and it was changing their lives until I started attending Willow Creek in Chicago in, the, in college. I wonder, is it for today? What's it mean to say we are passionately pursuing living like Jesus? Is it possible that there's more that God wants us to be pursuing and open to and seeking than we have been. Listen to the way Jesus described what was occurring in him and what was going to be occurring in us. This is from John 7. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. In John 14, he's giving his kind of message the last night he's alive and he's telling them he's about to leave them and in the midst of it he says I tell you the truth anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the father in Acts 6 we read about Stephen it says Stephen a man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people and Stephen wasn't an apostle he was part of the my father's business food distribution team but he was full of the Spirit, and God's presence and power was unhindered in how it flowed through him. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul writes this. He's making a point we're not going to get into, but he says this. When you are assembled, and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. The expectation was that in church, as they gathered together, God's power was present. Of his own ministry, he writes this earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So what do all these verses indicate? Jesus lived under an anointing of power from God's Spirit. Jesus delegated this power to the disciples and Jesus said we would receive the power and presence of the Spirit in our life also. He said we would also do the works he did and even greater. And the expectation of God's power being released continues into the church. Listen to this from the book of James. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We were created to live like Jesus in unbroken connection with our Father in an unhindered flow of the Spirit's presence and power in our lives. And I'd like to ask you, if that was available, would that not be something you could get excited about pursuing this year? You know, it's always interesting when you're trying to pull together what to communicate and trying to think of illustrations and is, is it really what God wants to say or not? I had an amazing meeting on Tuesday this week. Uh, a gentleman I've known for about five years or so, lives in Nashville, Tennessee. He's actually in the 
uh, finance trading business. He was in town, had a chance to meet with him, and as we were interacting, he said, you know, my background and my faith, I grew up in a really strict kind of Protestant sect. In fact, we thought we were the only ones that would be in heaven, our little, our little group. I was taught that the miracles and that the power of the Spirit ended at the time the Bible was written. He goes, but when I was in college, I did a missions trip to Venezuela, and I was just rocked by what I saw of the reality of God's Spirit. And it's been an interesting journey for him, but that's not the interesting part. He said, you know, one of the ways God speaks to me is through dreams. I said, really? He goes, yeah, I have a journal. I often am woken up with a dream, and I, I've just learned to write the dream out when I wake up, and I often review him. Well, five years ago, he said, I had a dream, and there was a girl that I knew that was in a pool floating on top, and she was dead. And as I woke up from the dream, I was repeating this, in the name of Jesus, come back. In the name of Jesus, come back. He goes, so, you know, I wrote the dream out. And 13 months after the dream, he said, I was on a plane flying to a city, and it was the city where this girl lived. And I was reviewing my dream journal on the plane. And he said, I came across that again. And I was just kind of saying, Lord, what was up with this dream? Later that week, as it turned out, he went to the pool, and that other girl's family was at the pool. And at some point in the afternoon, Suddenly his wife came yelling, Rogers, Rogers, come here, Rogers, come here. And he took him into the women's locker room and that little girl had slipped on the wet pavement and had fallen down and hit her head and she was dead. She wasn't breathing, there was no pulse. And he remembered his dream and he picked her up and he took her out and a bunch of people gathered around and he said, for minutes and minutes we just prayed. And he goes, the only thing I could think to pray was, in the name of Jesus, come back. In the name of Jesus, come back. And after a few minutes, he said it was like a sheet from her toes. Color came back all the way up to her head, and she opened her eyes, and she woke up, and he said, I've seen someone rise from the dead. And I thought, what a gift, Lord. I guess I will communicate this to the church today. A mosaic, passionately pursuing a life of unbroken connection to the Father, an unhindered flow of God's Spirit's presence and power in our lives. I wonder, how hungry are you for a faith experience like that as we start the new year? My goal this morning has been to whet your appetite and your hunger to yearn for more of what God might want for you in terms of hearing His voice and experiencing His reality. And I'm convinced that this is the greatest way to live. I mean, think about it. If all we have to offer our friends and our family and those we know in the community whose lives are in deep need of help is try a little harder. Memorize some more verses and work harder. And if you just read the Bible every day so you could finish it in the year, then you would, then you would be a good religious person. Religion, it doesn't, it, it, it focuses on the wrong things. It's outer appearance. It's comparison. It's not life-giving often. And this is exactly what we believe God is leading our church to in 2015. Let me encourage you to consider several things as we begin our new year. And the first one is this, time alone with God. You can call it quiet time. It could be Sabbath. It could be retreat. It could be journaling. Maybe your commute time and your car changes and it's not talk radio or not nonstop music, but it's listening. It's interacting. It's hearing. 
before we're done, I'm going to ask us to pray and say, Jesus, what would you like me to do to foster more of an ability to hear your voice this year? But I got to tell you, the second thing that we're really excited about is this church without curtains. We have more than 85 small groups ready to be launched. Yeah. And this is what the goal of Church Without Curtains is. A church where God is known and loved and a church where you are loved and known. A church without pretense. Where we're not just trying to follow a bunch of rules and compare ourselves, but we're going to get more honest and we're going to open our lives to be able to hear what God is saying to us. We'd love to see 800 to 1,000 of our church for eight weeks learning to follow Jesus together. And we think if you'll sign up for this, it has the potential to turbocharge your year and your journey with Christ in a really powerful way. But there's another opportunity that Grace has that I really, I'd like to challenge all of you to consider. It's called restorative prayer. Norflet's wife, Shanae, is the one that heads it up. And there are trained prayer facilitators that in essence, they're guiding you to have a conversation with God. It's all about helping you learn to hear God's voice for yourself. And I gotta tell you, there's a lot of things in our lives that, that short circuit the circuit, that clog the arteries, if you will. Whether it's unforgiveness or bitterness or fear or unconfessed sin. And it's been incredible the way that this has been impacting people. I asked for a few illustrations. And, you know, there's no names here, and this is confidential what happens, but I think this will maybe just encourage some of you to take the next step. There's a woman in our church that has suffered with insomnia for years. She tried everything, doctors, pills. And in a restorative prayer session, the reality that as a child she'd suffered abuse that had happened at night came up and there was forgiveness and there was confession and there was a, a healing that occurred. And after that she's been sleeping through the night. How would that affect your life with God to be freed of something that it had such a grip on you? There's a man who articulated that he grew up not receiving much love from his dad as a young man or as a child. And God spoke to him from a passage and said, I've longed to give you the love you need but you've been unwilling to receive it. And after a time of forgiveness of its dad and of repentance and partnering with this kind of intellectual faith, a deep experience of God's love for the first time that's changed the trajectory of his life. Just before Christmas, I submitted to a restorative prayer session with Norflet and Shanae. And God brought up some areas of unforgiveness that I had that I kind of, had an inkling that something was a little off, but it was, it was, it needed to be dealt with. Some areas of fear where I really wasn't trusting God that had come from, you know, my whole life with my, with my family of origin. It, it was able to be cleaned out and there's a, a clear ability to discern in here because of the clutter getting removed. And God gave me a great picture of what, of what I was to be about, that I would spend more time being filled with his presence and love as a conduit to flow out. 
we'd like every elder, staff, small group leader, lay ministry person, participant in our church, spouses, in other words, everyone, to consider signing up for one of these this year. My goal would be that Shanae and her team would be doing 10 of these a week so that it, 500 of us might have this experience of a restorative cleansing experience to open up your ears and your ability to be in unbroken connection to God and an unhindered flow of his spirit in your life. And I feel I'd be remiss if I didn't just touch on the concept of healing prayer. You know, God's begun to do some amazing things in our church in the last year and a half. One of our youth interns had a paralyzed arm after a surgery a decade ago that was restored and released through prayer. Another woman with significant knee and leg pain for over a decade experienced 100% healing during a prayer time this summer. At our last listening room, someone came and had incredible pain in their tailbone, and after prayer that night, it was released. One of the singers on our praise team came to one of the rehearsals on a Thursday night this fall and barely able to walk in excruciating pain, and after the team prayed over her, it released, and she felt healing. One of our staff workers, after dealing with significant internal issues for quite a while, had a complete healing occur at the staff elder retreat this August. How cool would it be for your faith if you were the recipient of God's healing presence in an undisputable way? So if you're sick, I want to encourage you to call and ask for the prayer team, ask for the elders to pray for you. Let's begin to do what James says and see if God might begin to pour out his healing and his presence in our church in a powerful way. And I, I just wanted to touch on something that Norfleet said at the end of November, he kind of gave this picture of this mosaic as he saw it, and I, I can't do it justice to, to the way that he painted that picture, but he said, do you see how unique our church is? We have millionaires sitting next to people on public assistance. We have people that are extremely educated with people with little education. We have people who are running businesses and have people working for them and others that are working for themselves. We have people that are from... Catholic backgrounds and from Protestant strict backgrounds like I came out of and Charismatics and Pentecostals. And we're all here together saying, we are on a journey where we're pursuing living like Jesus. Can you imagine the impact in our city because we're so different if we all began to hear God's voice a little more and experience more of his presence and power? Before we close, I'd like to just go back to that tension I started with of trying to cast a vision of becoming all that God wants without it discouraging you, feeling like, when do you get to celebrate? Is it always just work harder? Listen to this from Galatians. Paul writes this. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again. Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. It's not try harder to be a good Christian. It's trust and it's faith. 
It's God's Spirit moving in and through us. And as we close, I'd like you to just pray with me as I invite you to ask some questions and to try to hear what God might say to you. Let's pray. God, as I begin 2015 and look forward to becoming more like Jesus, living more like he did this year, unbroken connection with you, unhindered flow of your Spirit's power in my life, is there anything you want to say to me about my level of passionate pursuit of you? Lord, is there anything you would like me to do different this year? Do you want me to be a part of the Church Without Curtains small group? Should I submit to a restorative prayer session? Are you calling me to withdraw to a quiet place regularly this year to hear, pray, read? Or you may be asking me to begin to step out in faith and and begin to believe that you want to pour out your spirit through us, the people around us. And God, how do I passionately pursue a relationship with you without it becoming self-effort, human energy versus relying on your spirit? We're going to have a song played and our prayer team is going to be up front. If you sense God stirring in you, if there's anything you would like prayer for, I want to invite you to come forward during this song. And just continue to be listening to what God might be saying to you.